the family gathered at the airport with Grandma. And it was a big event for Grandma because Grandma had never stepped a foot on an airplane. And so they all went together to see her off and send her on her way for the first time in an airport, uh, first time in the airport and first time ever on an airplane. She was a little nervous about that. She wasn't confident about leaving the ground on this contraption, as she would call it. Like, how's that thing going to keep me up in the air? And when they met her at the airport on her return, one family member quickly said, well, Grandma, tell us about it. Was it okay? Did it all hold you up all right? And she grudgingly replied and said, well, yes, and then quickly added, but I never put my full weight on it. (laughs) I think many Christians are just like Grandma. I think a lot of us in this room are just like grandma. The truth is there's been, our lives are being completely sustained by God, but we're afraid to put our full weight on him. I'll step into the arena, but I'm not going to lean in totally and trust him with all of my heart and lean on his understanding. I want to lean on mine as understanding. As a result, we're plagued by anxiety and we're not able to enjoy the flight of life. The way to enjoy an airplane ride is to get on and say, man, I'm just going to trust the pilot. Whatever happens, happens. Hard to do, isn't it, though? Shouldn't it be so hard if God's our pilot? We should walk in this arena of life, this airplane, step on this life and say, you know what? I'm just going to trust and put my hands into his hands. Few of us are strangers to anxiety or stress or worry. It creeps in over big things. It creeps over little things. It's a gnawing away at our insides. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. Anxiety has been described as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And it is so true. We now often hear phrases like, I'm stressed out, I'm having panic attacks. They all tie back to anxiety and worry. Christian psychiatrist Frank Murnith and Paul Meyer say that anxiety is the most common mental disorder they encounter at their network of clinics across the country. People that are overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and how am I going to handle these situations that are going on in life. You ever felt this way? Sure, we all have, haven't we? We've all been in that point where we're just worrying, inner turmoil over what might happen, the tossing and the turning of our soul, the dread in light of a possibility that's coming, the potential for harm or for embarrassment or for loss, feeling uneasy and the feeling of undone, the feeling of just not being sure, a disconcerting, that disconcerting concern that can in some cases distract us and in other cases actually paralyze us. We've all probably been there at a time where it's like, how can I move forward in life? I'm just kind of stuck. How do I get up tomorrow? I'm stuck. How do I perform this job? How do I perform this task? How do I take care of my children? See, an unhealthy mental replay, not just once, but over and over and over, leads to worry and anxiety. A vain attempt to gain control over what we know is beyond control, but I'm somehow going to get control of it. Which of us has not felt this way at some time? Or another in our lives. And if you haven't felt that way, I guarantee it's probably coming someday. It's probably coming. See, we feel anxious about health situations, especially as people grow older. What if I get Alzheimer's? What if I'm disabled? What if I go in a nursing home? What if I get cancer? What if we start thinking about all these health issues? How am I going to pay the bills? Will my insurance? All these kind of things that go on. We start to 
worry about. We get anxious about our children raising kids. Will they turn out okay? Will they avoid drugs and sexual immorality? Will they be safe? Will they in this crime-ridden world? Will they be able to get into college? Will they get a decent paying job? Will they marry the right person? Will they leave my house? All these what-ifs and will this happen or will that happen? What did I say? Will they leave my house? I didn't even know that was a joke. Okay. Where am I at? That's the best sermon right there. Two have left. I'm praising for one more. Uh, Anxiousness about finances. How can I make this month's bills? How will fix my aging car if it breaks down? Do I replace the car? What if I lose my job? I'll be able to get the kids through college. How can I meet the medical bills? Will we save enough for retirement? What if my, uh, what if the economy fails and everything crashes? All these things bring anxiety, bring worry upon us. The list goes on and on and on and on. And maybe just sitting here talking about some of these things, you start getting anxious just thinking about it. You're like, I didn't come here to have this pressure put on me, but boy, I'm feeling it. Because even though I was putting some of this together, I was starting to feel a little stressed. I was like, goodness gracious, I'm dealing with some of this stuff. Sometimes we can't identify the specific reason of our anxiety, but it's there, and it's just kind of nagging around, nagging away like a constant dripping from a gutter. It just keeps hitting us and keeps pegging at us. If we don't learn to deal with it properly, we can cause all sorts of health problems, which in turn feed the anxiety that we have. Anxiety and worry, all of us have felt it probably at some time been paralyzed by it. One writer said to be anxious is to carry the burden of the future oneself. To carry it all by yourself. But just as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to span of life? Like, come on, can you let go of it? Let me take care of it. It can lead you to leaving your house late. In some cases, not leaving your house at all because you have so much worry and anxiety. I'll just hold myself up inside. All of us know what it feels like to be anxious. All of us knows what it feels like to worry. And some of us even have experienced it to an unhealthy degree. And all of us know the price we pay because of worry. But this morning, God wants you walking out of here encouraged. He wants to encourage your heart and he wants to encourage your soul. He wants to speak to you about being anxious. And church, you hear me say this often. You hear it in my prayers often. You are not here today by accident. You're here today because God has brought you to this place. Now, you may say, well, Brian, I'm here almost every single week. I still believe God has brought you to this place. You may say, I got up and came here because there was a sign out here, and I saw it driving by, and I've been thinking about coming, and today was the day you chose to be here because God has brought you here today. You may be here with some doubt and some worry and going, why did I even come? Because God wants to encourage your soul today. He wants to speak to you about anxiousness. It's not a new problem at all. It's been around forever. God's Word has spoken the issue of anxiety for thousands of years. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to hang out. Jesus actually promised peace in John 14. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, nor it be fearful. He spoke those comforting words on the night he faced his death. 
while he was here on earth. Seven times in the New Testament, seven times in the New Testament, our God is called either the God or Lord of peace. And it's actually a desire that God has for us that even in this life or in this journey or in the trials and the struggles and the difficulties, the anxieties that we have, the worries we have, he says, I want you to have peace, that peace that can be a constant experience for every Christian, even in the midst of trials. See, there's a fallacy out there that has been taught for years upon years upon years, and it's a lie of Satan, as when you become a Christ follower, all the problems go away. Hear me loud and clear, that is not true. That is a false gospel. And when people preach that and say, listen, you become a Christian, everything is going to be great and good, and it's all going to go away, you need to say, liar, because that's not true. Matter of fact, the truth is many times, well, when I become a Christian, it gets harder because Satan says, I don't want you to do that. I'm coming after you. And so we have to learn, how do I walk in this world? And even though trials and difficulties are going to come, how do I do this in peace and contentment? In our text, Paul, the prisoner, tells us how. Here I said, Paul, the prisoner, writing from prison, tells us how. Let me give you a little background before we jump on our passage today, because this passage I'm bringing forward today, we're going to hang out in for just three weeks. We're going to kind of unpack it and look at it from a couple different angles. This letter was written to believers at Philippi, which was a prosperous Roman colony. They had lots of money, lots of wealth in that area, and this little colony of Roman is written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul writes to encourage the Christians in Philippi to live joyfully in every circumstance. And you wonder why we write, like to live joyfully in every circumstance? Because they're this little colony. They didn't have their hands on the wealth of the Roman Empire. And so they are underneath some scrutiny. Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter was to thank the Philippians for the gift that they had sent him because they had sent him some money in his missionary journey. He was writing his letter saying, hey, I want to tell you thank you because you're helping spread the gospel. You're helping push the gospel forward. And he makes use of this occasion then in the book of Philippi, or Philippians, if we were to go through the whole thing, and he reports on his circumstances. Hey, here's what I've been doing. Here's what I've been involved with. Here's how God's been working in my life. He writes to encourage the Philippians to stand firm in the face of persecution because he had heard about the difficulties they were going through. And he's like, listen, you're standing for the gospel. You're teaching the gospel. You're preaching the gospel. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Don't give up because it's a great job or a great call. He, he exhorts them to humility and to unity. Listen, as you're doing this, work together for the unity of the gospel, but stay humble as you see people moving towards Jesus and to give the recommendation of approval for Timothy and Epaphroditus who had come to the Philippian church. He's like, listen, Timothy and Epaphroditus, put some trust in them. They're good spiritual people. You can trust in what they're bringing to you. And so welcome them. And then to warn the Philippians against some of the false teachers, like you got to watch out for some of the people who are legalists and some of the people are teaching other false doctrines. He's like, now keep your eyes open. But in the middle of all of this, he wraps all this around and says, now listen, you be encouraged. You, be, you have peace. See, the city of Philippi was named after King Philip II of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. It was a, it was a very wealthy area, which meant that the citizens of Philippi were also citizens of Rome itself. And there's this battle as Paul writes a letter. He's like, listen, you don't live like the Romans. You live as a, as a new person in the new kingdom of Christ. And they prided themselves on being Romans, dressed like Romans. They often spoke Latin. Many of the Philippians, though, they were retired military men who had been given land in the area and the vicinity who in turn served as military presence for the frontier of the city. So they were touching some of the wealth. Not all of them had the wealth. Now, with that background, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, by show of hands, how many people know that verse? I mean, you've heard it before, right? Most of us have probably heard that verse. It's, I, I've heard that. Brian, you, you preached that more than once, I'm sure. Uh, that's going to be our memory verse in a, in a bulletin for the next three weeks, that we get this verse drilled in our head. Many of us have found comfort in these words. But for these, for these three weeks, I just want to tear this apart, and we just kind of break it down. I want us to see that these words should be a source of comfort, because Paul gives a word of comfort and not a warning of condemnation. It's so easy for us to see the verse, and when it says to not worry or be anxious about anything, to think that he's bringing down condemnation on them. Let me just real quickly, Phil and Eric, jump right up here on stage with me real quick. You guys don't know what you're doing, do you? But that's okay. Phil, you come on over here, and Eric, you stay right there. There's two ways that people have interpreted Squeeze in here. Don't be too scared, okay? Two ways people interpret this passage. They look at it, and Paul is writing a letter that says, do not be anxious about anything. Some people say, Quit being anxious and quit worrying. you got to give this over to God. You're not trusting God and how awful and you're a sinner and something's going on. That's how some people interpret that passage. And you saw me point at Phil, so you're like, Phil, you better hear that. Or some people interpret the passage and say, man, it's going to be okay. Let's quit worrying. God's got this. Let's trust in him. It's going to be all right. You don't have to worry about it. Okay, you're going to be fine. Which one do you want to connect with? This one right here, right? It never works. But what do we do to friends sometimes and we do to people? Quit worrying about it. You're okay. Stop it. This is, it's going to be all right. Just a hand on the shoulder. Just kind of care and kind of love. You're you're going to be all right. I'm going to walk with you in a journey. God's walking in the journey. We're going to get through this. You don't have to worry about it. He's got this. You guys are really good helpers. Thank you. All right? So when Paul says don't be anxious about anything, it's not a finger-pointing thing. It's not a thing saying you're awful, you're terrible. It's a hand on the shoulder kind of thing. It's an arm around the, around the person. It's, it's a hug. It's I'm walking with you. And Paul's goal and God's goal is to reassure and not to reprimand. So when we read this passage and we read, do not be anxious about anything, I don't want us to walk out of here thinking we can beat other people up with that or I don't want you walking out of here feeling beat up. I want you walking out of here going, okay, God's putting his arm around me right now. He's patting me on the back like, okay, we got this. You know, so I said, we got this because we work with our team. God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, we work with our team. We got this. Together, I'm going to trust that God Almighty has this. I say that because warnings don't sober an anxious heart. You come down harsh, it doesn't help. They simply add to the crushing weight of anxiety. And when someone is stressed and someone is worried, worried when we come on hard to them, that's not going to help them. It just puts more worry. But when we come softly and gently, as Paul is writing this letter, and we, we say, listen, God's got it. You don't have to worry about it. That is part of directing them towards a life of peace. For some others, the result may be trauma when we come in hard. We need what is needed in all cases is comfort and encouragement, not Christian quick fixes. I mean, hear, now hear me. This passage is not saying your situation you're walking in is some real quick fix that we say to each other in Christianese, like, hey, you just need to trust God more. Ooh, and we get on out of there. There's sometimes we walk in these journeys and we walk with them for years, dealing with stress and dealing with worry, dealing with anxiety, 
And we need people walking with us to continue to encourage us, continue to trust God more, continue to walk with us. Someone might ask, isn't anxiety or worry a lack of faith? Because in other passages, it talked about having a lack of faith. And I believe the answer to that is sometimes. Sometimes it is a lack of faith. Do you know that Paul used the exact same word in chapter 2, verse 20, to recommend Timothy to the Philippians? Paul tells them Timothy is genuinely concerned for their welfare. And so this word is not like any, like the, it's very similar to the word anxiety. Therefore, we could translate verse 4, 6 as do not be concerned about anything using a very similar word. It, lacks, it, it has the same clinical overtones, doesn't it? And so Paul's coming along saying, listen, let these concerns fall in the hand of God. Let these concerns be taken care of by God. But what we're talking about is unhealthy concern, where it starts to make us sick. In some cases, such concern does come from a weakened faith. It comes from a, a faith that is struggling. It comes from a faith that is not active faith. And so sometimes it is a, an encouragement to activate your faith. For some, genuine encouragement with God's word is all it takes to bolster our faith. For some, it's like, hey, show me a couple passages. I'm ready to go. Let's run along. But for others, the trauma has left us, left an impediment to our faith. It's stopping our faith from growing. But does that make faith impossible or unnecessary? Not at all. And so Paul's saying, listen, your faith can't grow in this. It simply means faith needs to be directed at the roots of anxiety. So when you're dealing with anxiety and you're dealing with worry, you have to go, okay, is my faith in God? Am I trusting in God? Am I working towards trusting in God? Am I releasing more to God? And we grow. If someone has been abused, for example, feelings of safety and of self-loathing can be an impediment to trusting God. How can I trust God when he allowed me to go through this situation? When he allowed that into my life. How do you help someone who says, I believe in God and that he is loving, but deep down, I don't know how could God could really love someone like me. Those are people who are struggling with some real life issues going, look at me and look who I am and look at what I've been through and look at the things I've done. How can God possibly love me? Well, that's surely not going to work to point a finger at him and say, you just need to trust God. It's probably going to work better if you put an arm around a shoulder or a hand on a shoulder and say, let's walk in this journey together. Because that's what Paul was trying to do for the Philippians. Yes, we always want to encourage faith, but we also want to direct faith into these especially dry channels so that the whole field of life can know the living water of God's harvest, so to speak. And sometimes that takes time. And so when we say, hey, you don't have enough faith, and you just need to change your faith. we got to have more grace and patience to realize sometimes people's faith or their struggle in faith or their blockage in faith is because of life situations. And we walk with them in that. That's what Paul was doing. Are we, as Paul was, being soft on anxiety? Because I think Paul was kind of backing down a little bit like, okay, let's trust God. I don't think so. I think when you say, listen, you got to grow in this area. Do not be anxious in anything. Paul says don't accept anxiety as an unchangeable reality. In other words, don't say this is normal in any area in your life. Don't just accept that. Paul would keep encouraging more faith into Jesus, more trust into God. Don't tolerate it. Don't rationalize it as an unnecessary evil. It's an alarm bell that's saying something is wrong. Did you hear me on that? You notice you start to worry. You start to get concerned. Anxiety is, is going up. That's like God's alarm bell that is ringing in your ear. Hey, you're taking this on your own and said, let me have it. And God's ringing our ear going, hey, will you let go and let me have it? Let me 
trust. See, can, can anxiety lead to sin? I mean, God's Word says do not be anxious. I think it's comparable. Do not fear. In other words, a comfort, not condemnation. It can lead to sin, just as fear can lead to sin. Can anxiety be fear and sinful? Yeah. So we have understanding yet fail to do anything about it, then what happens is it, the, the idols start to topple over in life, so to speak. We start to believe the lies. And we start to believe the lies, then we can start to chase after other kinds of idols. And that's why when we have anxiety, we have fear, and we have worry situations, and we run to other things but God, then, yeah, that can cross over to a line of sin. And Paul knew that, and that's why he says, hey, let me, let me encourage you here to let go of your anxiety. Let me encourage you to let go of your worry. How, how do you topple these idols or lies? How to respond to God's word of, of reassurance or encouragement or exhortation? How do we address anxiety? How do we do that? Well, I think we have to have a goal before us. And Paul lays out the goal in verse 7. Look at it. And the peace of God. Just say that word with me. Peace. The peace of God. Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Goes back to a military term, right into the church of Philippi. Has some military leaders, retired people. He says, this peace will guard, just as basically you've been doing, guarding the land or guarding a region, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, the goal is we want the peace of God. I'd venture to say that when we're walking in worry, we're walking in anxiety, we're having these difficult things coming on, I'd venture to say most of us would say, I want that to be gone because I want peace. Paul says you can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Not merely a psychological state of mind, but an inner tranquility based on peace with God. The peace that comes from those who says, my sins are forgiven, a peace that comes that says, I know God loves me no matter what I'm walking in. A peace that comes that says, I know that there is nothing that will separate me from the love of the Father. That kind of peace. And it's the opposite of anxiety. See, it is the tranquility that comes when a believer commits his will to God's cares and to God's hands. And we say, listen, I have all these cares and I have all these concerns. And God, I don't know what to do with all of them. And so, God, I want to give them to you. That's the goal. That's what we can get to. That, that's what is possible even in the midst of very difficult and challenging life situations. It transcends all understanding. It, it's the person that when you walk into the hospital room and they receive the most worst news and you walk in and encourage them and you walk out and you're on cloud nine going, how did that happen? Because they have peace inside of them and they're going, I'm walking through this tragedy, but I have such hope in God that that peace has come. It's the full dimension of God's love and care beyond human comprehension. It's the time when you see a family member walking through something or a friend walking through something, and inside of you, you're thinking, how are they doing that? That they're walking in peace, and you're like, I don't know how this is even possible. They're dealing with, you think of the most tragic situations, and they have peace about them. It's a peace that is beyond our understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds, that military concept depicting a a sentry standing guard, God's protective custody of those who are 
in Christ extends to the core of their beings and their deepest and their deepest intentions. And God says, I want to guard your heart and your mind. That's, those, those are words for guarding all of you. Because we're controlled by our heart and our mind. It's that military term to keep watch. God's peace guards the believers from anxiety and from doubt and from fear and from distress. And so Paul says, here's the path. Here's how we do this. First of all, we try not to worry. We don't worry about anything. We turn it all over to him. We, we keep working towards trusting him. Guards, God's peace guards the believer. Because the believer's union with Christ, he guards us our inner peace. Paul says that's the goal. That's the path that we're on. Like, How do I learn to do this? Let's look at the passage one more time. Do not be anxious about anything. 